Thank you so much for joining us online today. Next Level Church exists to lead people to become fully engaged followers of Jesus. We'd love to hear about what God is doing in your life. You can email us at mystory@nextlevelchurch.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For locations and service times, visit nextlevelchurch.com locations. Also, if you'd like to be a part of what God is doing here by giving, go to nextlevelchurch.com slash give. We hope you enjoy this message and have a great day. Next Level Church, good to be with you this week. And let me welcome all of our locations real quick. Fort Myers, whatever location you're in, uh, or whatever service you're in, you're in the Fort Myers location. Uh, welcome to you. Gateway, what's up to you guys out east of I-75? And then I call it our South Campus right now, our South location, uh, because you guys are like in Coconut Point one week, and then you're in another place in Coconut Point, then you're in, in B- Bonita, and then I don't know if you're like Naples. I don't, we just call you the South location right now. So uh, hey, for all of you watching uh, with our, our South location, thank you guys for being so patient uh, with Hurricane Irma and the damage to the theater, and you've been in the theater, you've been in a hotel ballroom, you've been in a performing arts center, and we just believe that God is so sovereign, and uh, he's moving that location to be exactly where he wants it to be, not only for you, but for the harvest in a community that he's going to move us to. So thank you for being patient with us. We love you guys. Come on, Next Level Church, why don't we give it up for our South Campus, all of our other locations, our Bonita Springs location, as we're calling it. So honored to be with you this weekend um, as we kick off a new series, Life, Money, Hope and uh, just excited to share with you, honestly, just straight up God's word this weekend. Um, as I put this message together, uh, you know, sometimes there's messages and you flow in and out of different Bible stories. And God just said, you know what, Kyle, just teach straight up. Just, just open the Bible and go to the verses that preach on exactly what you want to talk about this weekend. And we always preach through the Bible and the Word of God at Next Level Church, but there's going to be a lot of notes and a lot of Bible verses, a lot of stats this weekend. So if you're a note taker, this is kind of like your weekend. If you're not, you should take notes this weekend. So, because uh, it's going to be one of those messages where if you don't take notes, you're not going to remember most of what's said. And honestly, this is one of those messages when it comes to our finances that I can preach it and teach it and we can open up the Word of God and we can share it. But if we don't do anything practically with it, we're going to find ourselves exactly where we find ourselves today. And I believe that we've titled this series Life, Money, Hope because the truth is, is that we're living in a world today right now that, that a lot of us are living fairly hopeless when it comes to our money. That if we were being honest with ourselves in 2017, that it might appear through social media, Facebook, Instagram, other places that we look on in people's lives that people are doing well financially. But when I show you some stats here in just a few minutes, the truth is, is that majority of us, even those of us who call Next Level Church our homes, Christians, Christ followers, that majority of us are struggling in our finances. And can I just challenge us who, those of us who are with us this week, and we know there's hundreds of you that are new to Next Level after uh, Hurricane Irma, and we're so glad that you're here. We've seen hundreds of salvations, Next Level Church, since Hurricane Irma, like close to 300 salvations in the last six, seven weeks, which is unbelievable, and just a move of God, and we believe you're going to walk right in and take your next step with baptism coming soon to say yes to Jesus, and then go into baptism. Make sure you go out to your next steps area uh, after the service at your location and talk to somebody and get signed up for that. It'll be the best decision 
that you make post the decision you said yes to Jesus. Um, so make sure that you do that. But I know that for a lot of us, as soon as you hear the word money in a title of a series, you go, oh no, here they go. They're going to talk about it. And the truth is, we are. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. And um, listen, here's my hope is that all of you that are watching, what I hope is, is that you hear the most life-giving messages you've ever heard on finances within the church. Our prayer is, as Pastor Matt and myself and our executive team and our teaching team have sat down to look at this series, we just want you to know that God is so for you in your finances, that God loves you, that he's got a life that's planned for you. He wants to give you life and hope in your finances. He doesn't want you to be hopeless in your finances, but we're living in a world today that kind of makes us feel a little hopeless with our finances. If you're anything like me, you can remember like the worst season of your finances. Anybody, if you close your eyes right now, go ahead, close your eyes. You can close your eyes. It's good. 830 gateway. Don't fall asleep on me. Don't fall asleep on me. Pastor Gabe will wake you up. So as you've got your eyes closed, like picture your, your toughest financial season. Maybe it was when you were in college. That was mine, like zero money. Maybe it was when you first got married and you took on a spouse's debt. And uh, maybe it's when you had a kid um, or two kids, or like one of our campus pastors at Next Level Church, three kids and a fourth kid in Jesus' name, and they just keep adding. Maybe you find yourself in that season where finances are tough with kids. Maybe it's even post-kids and you're empty nesters, or even in retirement right now, you're in a, a tough financial season. You can open your eyes. And here's the truth that if we're being honest, there's not a single person in a room this weekend that hasn't been in a tough season financially. That we've all been there, I've been there, you've been there, the person to your left and the person to your right's been there, the people in front of you have been there, that financially we go through seasons in life, and some seasons are good, and some seasons they feel a little hopeless. Mine was in college, uh, I played a college sport, I uh, couldn't work a job, did 16 hours a week of school, and my parents sent me like 75 bucks a month to live off of. Oh, maybe you got less than that, but I got 75 bucks a month to live off of, which is not a lot living in Nashville, Tennessee. So maybe some of these will remind you of your tough financial season. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, buddy, you throw a little pepperoni, a little sauce in there, you got pasta. Throw a little fruit, you got pasta salad. I can tell you 101 ways to make ramen noodles. Anybody else? Like I should write a book on how you can make those things for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, um, you can go to the next. Those are chicken flavor, though. Go back. Hello. Chicken flavor, yeah. Yeah. It's like total memories coming back. I'm like, those were so bad. <laughs> Go to the next one if you're anything like me, like, I, like anybody else. Like I, I literally saved money in college. You can't do this in Florida because it's flat. But anywhere that has hills, you just throw that bad boy into neutral when you're going down a hill, save some gas. Anybody else? Nobody? None of you were ever that poor? I mean, I have coasted into many of gas stations on fumes. Like, it's probably because I had a $600 car payment with my Porsche here and couldn't afford gas, but, but my car looked good. My car looked good. Anybody right here still in some internet from the neighbor? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. You're in church. You're in church. Um, not that you would ever do this or I've ever done this, but, but people, you can still some, some, like, we've all lived in these seasons where it's like, what are we going to do financially? Like, how in the world are we going to pay rent at the end of this month. The electric bill was what? How much was the medical bill this month? Hold on. What bill came in the mail? That we've all lived in seasons where even though God's word says that he wants us to have life and hope in our finances, we've all lived in seasons, even as Christ followers, where it felt a little hopeless. And here's my hope for the next couple weeks of this series. My hope is, is that you would lean in. 
My hope is that you would open your heart. It's so easy to close our heart as soon as you hear money in the church, but I can just promise you, if any of you know me at all, and obviously those of you that know Pastor Matt, our hope is is that we are going to teach you the most life-giving principles about finances because the Bible, it's a book of life. If we teach you what the Bible says about finances, then they should be the most life-giving messages you've ever heard about money. And I just truly believe that if you've walked into one of our locations in the seasons of your life and you feel hopeless in your finances, that this weekend and the next several weekends have the ability to shove you in a direction to take you from hopeless to hopeful. The truth is, is it's, uh, it's really about our spending in America. Um, it's about our saving. It's about our spending. And we just have bad saving habits, if we're being honest, that that um, we might have some excuses for saving of, I, you know, I just haven't gotten a raise in years or, you know, inflation, things just start getting more expensive. And if I just had more money, then I would be able uh, to save. But the truth is we just have some bad saving and spending habits. Look at these stats in America today. These are saving habits. 42% of Americans, they live paycheck to paycheck. That four out of 10 of us in the room this weekend, whatever location you're in, we're living a life literally paycheck to paycheck, wondering at the end of the month if we're going to have to put stuff on credit cards to get by, if we're going to have just enough money to skate by. 25% of those people earn more than $100,000 a year. Because I hear this all the time, that if I just had more money, then I would save. But the truth is, in our culture and in our country today, that that it doesn't matter how much we make, our spending habits just seem to move with our, our, our money and whatever we make. If we make 40000 a year, we spend forty-two. If we make seventy-five, we spend eighty. If we make one hundred and ten, we spend one eighteen. That whatever, if we get more money, culture has taught us the more money you get, the more money you should spend. So it's not really a money thing as much as it is a saving habit. Look at this, 29% of American workers have less than $1,000 in savings. Three out of ten of the people that we encounter every day, literally are living their life, putting their head down at night going, man, if we have one thing that comes that's a surprise, we're in trouble. If we, have, if, if we lose our job, man, we're in trouble. If something happens health-wise, we're in trouble. Millennials have a savings rate of negative 2%. It's not funny. It's not funny. That the, the generation coming behind us has negative 2%. They're starting their life in their teenage years, their early 20 years, already in the negative. And if we think we're in trouble today as a culture and an economy, the people that are going to be running our culture and economy one day are living a life already in the negative. We shouldn't think that's funny. It ought to, it ought to make us sit up a little bit and realize where we're really at. 52% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 unforeseen expense without borrowing the money or selling something. 52%. Half of us, if, if the starter went out in our car or the air conditioning went out in our home or something happened with a medical bill this month, tomorrow, next week, that if that happened, we literally couldn't pay for it. We would have to go sell something or we would have to go borrow it from someone. Only 17% of the population has an emergency fund that could last for three to five months. An emergency fund is taught by Dave Ramsey, just this incredible financial expert in our world today that says if you really want to get to a place financially where you can have hope and life in your finances, you'll pay off debt and then you'll save three to five months of your spending like expenditures. So if you, if you had $3,000 a month is the average amount of money that you spend on rent and utilities and car payments and student loans and gas and all those places, then you should have three to five months of that saved. You should have nine to $15,000 saved in a savings account so that if you lose a job or come down with a sickness, 
sickness or need to take an extended paternity leave or maternity leave that you would have enough money to pay without putting it on credit cards. Approximately 10 million U.S. households have no bank account whatsoever. That 10 million Americans today don't, they, they can't save because they don't have anywhere to put it to save. That they don't have a savings account or a, an account at all. 2.5 million Americans took out car title loans in 2014 to cover expenses. The worst type of debt that you can possibly have. They're, we're taking money in the worst way just to cover our expenses. The average 50-year-old just has $42,000 saved. That includes long-term savings. That includes retirement. That, and the truth is that even some of us, we snickered at the millennial comment, but if we're sitting here in the baby boomer generation, that the average 50-year-old just has about $1,000 saved per year that they've worked in long-term retirement savings. See, I think for some of us, that's not our situation, so we assume that everybody else is in the same financial seat that we're in, but it's just not true. It's just not true. And these aren't just stats of Americans. These are stats of Christians. These are stats of people just like you and just like me that would say they're Christ followers, that they're the average American today, Christ follower or not Christ follower. These are the stats. So this is us next level. This is you and me and our friends and our family and the people in our small groups and that we serve with. This is the reality that we're living in. Instead of it being life, money, hope, it feels a little bit Hopeless, 36% of Americans are not saving at all for retirement. They're not saving at all for retirement. Look at these spending habits, because I think a lot of times we think it's a savings thing. We don't make enough money, but the truth is it really does come back to a spending habit that we just like our stuff. We want the next thing, the most upgraded thing, the best looking thing, so we don't save, but then we blame it on economy or no raises or inflation. But look at these spending habits. There are nearly 1.9 billion active credit card accounts in the U.S. split by nearly 200 million cardholders. That's an average of 10 cards per person. Total U.S. credit card debt is $793 billion. Americans spent $70 billion playing the lottery in 2014. That number has gone up. That's $300 per adult. Okay. When I see the stat that says, I don't remember which one it was or where it's at, and I'm probably going to miss this here, but I'm just going to go with it, that whatever percent, 50% of Americans don't have $1,000 in savings, but the average American spent $300 on lottery tickets. That's our, bet. That's our best bet for hope in our finances is a scratch off. I'm just going to open the word of God before I scratch off a ticket hoping for hope in my money. I'm just going to, because I just think that, and I know this, that God has more for us. God has more for you in your finances. God has not designed our life at all as a Christ follower to not have hope in any area of our life. In our marriage, which finances is the number one reason for divorce today, that something happens and we, we kind of point the finger at this is what happened, that the divorce, this is the decision that was made, this is why we're divorced, but it really does trickle back majority of the time to finances. That's where the fighting Again, God's got more for your marriage. God's got more for your kids. God's got more for your parenting. God's got more for your career. And God's got more for your finances to give you hope. But we have to open up the word of God and stop scratching off lottery tickets, hoping for luck. When God just says, no, just be found trustworthy as a good steward of your finances. Look at this incredible verse 
this weekend. There's two of them that I really just want you to get your mind around as we do this three-week series from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. It says, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. I, I'm not hammering on the lottery thing here, but senseless and, and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It goes on, for the love of money, not money, so don't hear what I'm not saying this week. There's a lot of successful people in our church. This is not about how much money you make. It's about your heart towards your money, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith. I've read that verse, and then practically as being a pastor the last seven or eight years, I started, I'm like, I have received so many emails or had conversations in the midst of a financial series that we've taught at our church where people have pushed back and left the church because we've decided to teach on money. They've wandered from the faith because their heart is so caught up that the the love of money has, because I think the enemy, if there's a, a savior of our soul, there's an enemy of our soul. And I think what the enemy wants to do this weekend and the next several weekends and any time we talk about finances at Next Level Churches, he wants to get you thinking negatively about how the church and God talks about your money. That there's this automatic like lock up, you can feel it in the room and every room we're in this weekend. It's like, and none of you are laughing. <laughs> there's this lock up. That the enemy wants to convince us in our mind and in our heart that, that the church and God teaches you about. He wants to take your money. God doesn't want to take any of your money. He wants to bless you above all else you could ever imagine, the Bible says. He wants to open up the floodgates of heaven on your life financially. God wants life and hope for your finances, but the enemy tries to convince you that that's not what God wants. And some of us, we wander away from the faith. We'll wander away from church. I don't know if you'll get pierced with many of those things, but you'll wander away from the faith just because we talk about finances. Look at this incredible verse in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, that if those stats are really true, that if we're really living hopeless in our lives, that if I would say 50% of those of us who call Next Level Church our home are laying down at night worried about tomorrow, worried about the end of the month, worried about a bill that's coming, that if that's the case, then we have to start considering our ways. Because you've sown much, you get up, you work hard. Man, you, you go out and you make the sales calls, you teach the kids, you, you work hard in the sun, you labor, the Bible says, and but you've harvested little, not because you haven't been paid, just because, because you haven't stewarded it. Well, you eat, but you never, you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but I need the new Nikes. I need the new Adidas's. I gotta have that new jean jacket. It's from Target. I went to Cotton On first, but they didn't have my size. That's about it. That's cheap. That's, you anyway. He who earns wages does so, and they put them into a bag with holes. See, we're living in a world today that says, Kyle, listen, hope is having the next iPhone. That's hope. The upgrade, it's got portrait. It's got portrait setting on the pictures. We can't afford to print any of them off, but we have the iPhone. The new one. I can't afford the gas for my car, but it's so sweet. Neutral down the hill. <laughs> that the world's teaching us that, that 
They just need more. If I just had more, just keep working hard, labor, just so that you can have more, but then you look up and you feel hopeless because you're putting it into a bag with holes. Here's the question then, then, then how did we get there? As Americans, how, how did we lose hope in our finances? This is where I would love for you to take some notes. I'm just going to give you four reasons on why I think that we've gotten to this place if you feel hopeless in your finances, and then I'm going to flip it and give you four ways to find life in your finances. I'm just going to give you points, give you verses, and I want to pray blessing over you. And even a feeling of, if you feel something internal right now, it's not condemnation because condemnation is is not of God. God doesn't condemn you. Listen, I've made horrible financial choices in my life. I've lived in the negative in my bank account in some seasons of my life. My wife and I, when we got married, argued about our finances for the first, I don't know, three years I'm no different than you, but when I finally got the Bible out and I said, you know what? Enough's enough. Enough's enough laying down at bed, laying my head down at night, feeling hopeless and arguing with my spouse and feeling like we're going to just make it by the skin of our teeth at the end of the month. Enough's enough. And I started applying God's word to my life financially. We've lived in hope. We've had life in our finances. How do we lose hope? Number one, we believe a lie. I think that we believe a lie, look at this incredible verse in Mark chapter 4, 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for those other things, they come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. That the desires and the deceit of wealth, that we desire these things, it actually comes in and it makes the word of God not feel real in our life. And what God wants to be fruitful and have hope in life and our finances can start to feel unfruitful because these desires take over the word of God in our life. I think that we believe the lie maybe that the standard of living is greater than the quality of life. That the world today is teaching us that your standard of living is greater than your quality of life. What do I mean by that? That the world tells you that no, have the car that's too much of a car payment, have the house in the neighborhood where your mortgage and rent is too much, make sure you wear these clothes, carry this handbag, ladies, Make sure that you, your kids go to this school so that your standard of living, so that the appearance of your life would match up with those in your circle or outside of your circle. So that people would look on and go, wow, they must have a good life. But God says, no, 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 no. Quality of life is greater than standard of living. To lay your head down at night with peace that passes all understanding, with the joy of the Lord, to love your wife and love your kids because you're not so burdened by all the payments that are coming in so that we can have the appearance of something that's not real. God says, no, 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 no. Quality of life is greater than standard of living. Why did we get there? I think it's number two. It's because marketing in our world has become louder than the word of God in our life. That marketing has captured us and it's become louder than than God's word in our life. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. There's a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again. It's like, so here's, marketing got, like they're brilliant, aren't they? I'm literally on Facebook today and to my right, it's like Auburn this, Auburn that, Auburn this, save 50% here, you gotta have it. And I'm like, yes. The next thing I know, I'm in PayPal checkout. I'm like, I've gotta have the new Auburn socks. I need them. I need them. Because the ones I wore three weeks ago, we lost, and they're no good anymore. <laughs> I need them. Now, I'm not sure I would go straight to hell if I bought them, but, <laughs> but they're brilliant. They're brilliant. 
It's not a mistake that everything that you love is always right in front of you via email, social media, or TV. It's like, like they know. They know where you are. They know what you like. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter is going to end in heartbreak. On social media, it looks like their financial picture is good. But the truth is they're just running things up on credit card because they think the standard of living is greater than the quality of life. It looks harmless. It has the appearance of having a good time, but at the end of the day, that marriage is going to end in heartbreak. That, that relationship, that home's going to be foreclosed on. Those cars are going to be taken back because it's just the appearance of having a good time. It's, it's going to end in, in heartbreak. Look at number three. We have no idea where our money goes. How did we get to a place of hopelessness in our finances? I think it's because we have no idea where our money goes. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards. Stewarding something is taking anything that's given to you, and it's basically like creating a filter, that water that comes out of your, your refrigerator goes through a filter so that it's the most clean and pure version of water. So everything is given to us from God if we believe that God is our ultimate provider, which I think that that's a big thing to know in the financial picture, that God is the ultimate provider. He gives and he takes away. That God gives us finances. If you have a job, your boss pays you, but then once it hits our hands, hits our wallet, hits our, pay, our, uh, our bank account, it filters through whatever filters that we have. Because stewards, if you want more, then you have to be found what? Trustworthy. The Bible goes on to say that he who has he who is found trustworthy with little can be found trustworthy with much. That we're all giving some type of finances, whether it's $2,000 a month or $10,000 a month. I had somebody tell me once, give somebody $10 and watch how they spend it because that's how they'll spend a million dollars. You're either going to spend all 10 or 11 of it or you're going to spend all a million or a million and a thousand of it. That you have to be found trustworthy with your finances. Look at this stat. 61% of U.S. adults don't even have a budget. 61% don't even have a budget. We have no idea where our money's actually going. I think that's because there's some budgeting myths in our world today. The first one is that you have to be great with numbers in order to have a budget. Okay. You don't have to be good with numbers to have a budget. <laughs> see in high school, see in college. Just kept it, didn't get any better, didn't get any worse. I'm not great with numbers. Somebody says trig, trigonometry around me. I'm like, I don't even know how to spell that. <laughs> Much less do that. You don't have to be great with numbers. You make $3,000 a month, go subtract all your spending from it. It'll, it's, it's not, that's a myth that you have to be good with numbers. Living on a budget means you can't have any fun at all. Not true. Uh, budgeting gives you the ability to have fun without having to worry about what the end of the month's going to look like. Me and my wife went putt-putting with our little daughter the other night. Had a blast. I took her to a movie recently. We got Coke and a popcorn. Large. So we can get free refills and get the little plastic things and like dump it in and have everybody eat off of one. We know what we're doing. Don't act like you don't do it. I'm a pastor. You do it. The Homans, they sneak chocolate in in her purse. I know they do. I've seen it. The Fort Myers campus pastor, those guys, professionals. Professionals. Just email Josh. He will show you how to make your movie cheaper than it, needs, than, it, than it could be. I'm just playing. You know what? Go, go make a sandwich and go down to the beach. The beach is free. The parking's not, but the beach is free. <laughs> right? What's a PB&J cost and your kids on the beach running around in the sun? 
the laughter that brings, the joy that brings, it doesn't cost you a dime. Go to a park, put out a blanket, take a book, borrow a book, <laughs> take pictures of pages in the bookstore of the book. <laughs> you can't afford Dave Ramsey's book, go take a picture of page 69 and of page 83. It's the budget chapter and the other. Just read it. Dave won't care. He's good. He's good. Budgeting is a, <laughs> budgeting's adding up what you spend at the end of each month. That's not budgeting. That's adding. Budgeting is predetermining what you're going to spend before you spend it. You can't budget with an irregular income. I hear a lot of times this myth of like, well, we're, we're in sales, commission only, we do real estate, we're waiters or waitresses, we can't budget on that. Can I, we don't have time to get into this. Find somebody that's in your world that does what you do that does budget because you can budget on that type of career. I promise you, um, the most successful people in your industry in that area probably have a fantastic budget. Ask them what they do. Big number four, back to why we got to where we are. I think it's because we hide from the truth. I think it's because we hide from the truth. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires, and he breaks out against all sound judgment, that, that if you don't come to the reality of where you are, you start to isolate yourself. And when you isolate yourself, you can't get around wise counsel to help you get out of the problems you're in. But that's what not telling the truth actually does. It like, my daughter is four years old. Anybody got little kids right now that, that like, I'll just call it what it is. She's starting to lie, straight up. She just looks at me and lies. I'm like, what? You're so much like your, uh, your dad. So much like your dad. <laughs> I'm just playing. My wife has told the truth her whole life. It's awesome to be the less of the two in everything. <laughs> so, like, she, she, she literally lies, and then I look at her, I'm like, Kaylee, that is not true, honey. You're lying. And she takes off running, goes to her room, throws her head in the pillow, and hides. Because the truth is, is that when we've done something that we know other people would look on and go, oh, wow, really? Instead of wanting to talk about it, I think the enemy pushes us to isolate ourselves. And whatever's in the dark, it just continues to grow. That depression grows, that, that embarrassment grows, that shame grows, that, that guilt grows. But if you would just come out in the light and tell somebody, then we can start to talk about it because sound judgment is found not in isolation, it's found in the light. So if that's the truth, like as America, that's how we've lost some hope in our finances. And if you're here this week and you're like, yeah, those are some reasons why, then how do we move towards life? That if God wants life for us and hope for us in our finances, then how do we move towards life? I think number one just answers number four, and it's this. We have to admit the reality of where we really are. Some of us need to sit down this weekend with a friend or our spouse or another married couple and just say, hey, here's where we are. No embarrassment, no guilt, no shame. The truth will set you free, the Bible says. You want to be free? Or you want to keep living in slavery when it comes to your financial life? God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to live free. The truth will, will set you free. Proverbs 28, 13, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Come on, how many of us know that we serve a God of second chances? If you're in this place today and you're saved and you've said yes to Jesus Christ, then you have to know that you serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And in my life, hundreds of chances. That the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus and the grace of God, it forgives a multitude of sins, it says. That receiving Christ is not just about forgetting your past. The grace is not only good for your past, it's good for your present and it'll be just as good for your future. 
So when it comes to your finances, if you find yourself in this horrible place, admit the reality of where you really are. Confess it to someone because God wants you to have another chance. What if the, what if the financial place that you could possibly be is just on the other side of telling somebody where you currently are? What if it's that close? What if it's that close? Or the Bible says that pride comes before the fall and we can keep acting like things are good and put up a wall of pride, but eventually we will fall. Tell somebody where you're actually at. Number two, you got to figure out where your money's going. Dave Ramsey says every dollar should have a name, that every dollar should have a name. These are some of Jennifer and I's percentages. We just make a decision on what percent we're going to live on so that we can give and save another percentage. So here's the, this is true life. Like Jennifer and I, we live on 70% of our budget or our income. What Jennifer and I make, we, we've made a decision. It doesn't have to be your decision. This is not everybody's, it's just ours. I think that it's just wise to make a decision because once you make a decision on what we're going to live on, then you just automate your savings and your giving on the other side because you automate that which is important to you in your life. So we live on 70%. So we save 15%. That's just a goal of ours. It's automated into long-term savings, short-term savings. As soon as we get paid, it goes there because we can't spend that because we don't live on that. And that's because we want to make sure that we give 15% of our income to different things that the Bible says that you should bring the first 10% into the storehouse, that he will, the first has the rest to bless the rest, that the first one in 10 should come to your local church that feeds you. And I know that when we hear that, this is not what the message is about at all, but we push back. But can I just push on you just a hair for a second? If we showed your budget, you give a percentage of your income to everything. A hundred percent of your money goes somewhere. And we have no problem giving 7% to our gym we have no pro for our physical body. We have no problem giving 11% to Publix in the healthy food area. We have no problem giving 18% to our child's education. We have no problem giving that percentage to Target for the high quality hair products. Not me, but ladies. <laughs> we have no problem giving that percentage to our clothes or to the car dealership but we have a problem with giving a percentage of our income to the only place that invests in our soul, which is the only thing that will go to eternity? We just made a decision that we're going to honor God's word in every part of our finances. We're not just going to budget and pay off debt and save. We're going to give because God's word says to give. The other 5% goes to kingdom builders. It goes to above and beyond giving. It goes to compassion children that we sponsor. It goes towards uh, helping people go on missions trips or our friends if they need help. Listen, I'm not saying that braggadocious. It's just a decision we made. And once you make a decision and know where your money is going, then you can actually choose to do with your money what you want to do with your money instead of the world telling you how to spend your money. That's what this has the power to do. Here's three practicals to starting a budget. If you're like, oh gosh, the B word, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Uh, here's three practicals to starting a budget. Number one, figure out your monthly net pay. How much do you make once taxes are taken out? Let's call that three grand. For Jennifer and I, that would mean we're going to live on 2100, which is 70%, and we're going to give 450 to uh, away to things, and we're going to give 450 to our savings account. How much do you actually have so that you can know what you have to live on? Secondly, uh, you have to list your major expenses. Rent, utilities, electric bill, Comcast, water bill. You have to list your, um, your car payments, your student loan payments, those monthly payments that you have to make every month or you're going to fall behind and pay more. And then thirdly, you have to track your discretionary spending. Like how much money do you spend at Cantina Laredo a week? Oh, nobody else. No, nobody else spends. Like my wife, straight up carne asada every time, $21.99. I'm like, good night. 
She's like, no, but I cut it in half and I get lunch the next day. I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't count. It's still $21.99. I get two tacos, $3.99. Complimentary chips and salsa, water to drink. Nobody else can't, okay, whatever. How much money do you spend going to movies? How much money do you spend going to leisure activities? How much money do you spend at the places you go hang out on Friday and Saturday night? What do, you, do you know your discretionary spending? And it doesn't matter how you do it. Do it on a piece of paper. Do it on a spreadsheet, Excel, if you're into that. There's an incredible uh, app called Mint, M-I-N-T, that literally shows every dollar that comes out of your bank account, and it puts it in a category and shows you the percent in which you are spending. Tracking your spending is the key to seeing where you're spending too much money and where you're not spending money where you want to. Big number three this weekend, create a plan of attack around your debt. Wherever your debt is, create a plan of attack. Look at Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent person foresees danger and it takes precautions, but the simple person, they keep going blindly on in their same ways and they end up suffering the consequences. That we end up suffering the, the consequences of the same decisions that we've already made. Look at this slide. The average American has $117,951 of debt. And I think that a lot of us, we look on at our debt and we're, we're more worried about consolidating our debt instead of figuring out how to uh, take away and remove that debt, that we, we have to start focusing on debt elimination and not debt consolidation. That we keep figuring out ways to move our debt into one place to get a lower interest rate. And the only reason we do that is because we want to pay less on our debt, but we want to continue to spend the same way we've been spending. You keep doing the same thing, you're going to find yourself in the same place. What got you here will keep you there if you keep doing the same things over and over again. Here's a great question for you, kind of random. Show me your closest five or six friends and show me how they spend their money and I bet I can show you how you spend your money. And if they're just worried about consolidating and if the wisdom you're getting is just consolidated all so that you can keep spending, that's not wise advice. You gotta start paying things off so that you can get to the place of freedom. Look at big number four and then we'll close this week and you have to know that there's hope. Know that there's hope. I know these stats seem a little like, ugh. <laughs> And then the first four points are like, oh, no, that's three of the four of those are me, and, and I don't like the budgets, and I don't, man, I don't, I don't know if I can do any of this stuff. And I need you to know this weekend there's hope because God is in control of your life. God is in control of your financial picture. You just got to invite him into the process. Look at John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief is only there to still kill and destroy the enemy. But I came so that you can have real and eternal life more and better than they than they ever dreamed of, that God, you, we read that and it's like, oh, just me, the person. No, God wants to give you more and a better life in every area of your life. He has more for your marriage. He has more for your kids. He has more for your career. He has more for your financial picture. He wants you to have hope, but the world is making it seem like we're hopeless, but we serve a God of hope. We serve a God that if he could change your past, we don't think he can change our future when it comes to money that he can forgive all the things that we did in our past that have nothing to do with money, but he can't change our financial picture in the future of our money. I just believe our God is so much bigger than that. I believe that we serve the God of the universe who sent the savior of the world so that we could have life and that we could have hope and we could live life abundantly and we could be a picture to the world of what hope and love and peace looks like in our financial life because that's the goal. As Christ followers, it's to mirror the character of God. It's that the world would look on and go, what do they have? Why do they look so at peace with their finances? Why do they seem like they just love their life? Why are they so joyful? Like, there's no way they're making that much money. We live in the same neighborhoods. 
we drive the same cars. Our kids go to the same schools. And you'll be able to look at them and go, yeah, but I'm a Christ follower. I'm just going to do it like God says to do it. Money, the way you handle your money has a whole lot to say about what you believe about God. And trust me, the outside world knows that you're a Christian, knows that you go to church, and they're watching how you spend your money. And if you'll do money differently because money's so close to our heart, it might open up a conversation with somebody that's lost in your workplace or in your family that it might lead them to a relationship with Christ. That's how important it is to steward our money like God says to steward our money. There is hope. Here's an incredible story, and we'll close this weekend. A girl named Faith goes to our church, serves in our church, beautiful person, says, I moved out, and I was used to a quality of life that I had living at home, but then I got out on my own and realized I couldn't afford most of the things that I'd gotten used to. I looked up one day, and I had negative in my checking account. I was eating ramen noodles every day for lunch and dinner. I'm like, I got you. Just throw something in there and call it something else. She said, I felt like I was deep underwater and it was going to be impossible to get to the top. But then I turned my life towards what God said about my finances and I started to get out of debt. I started to budget. I started to tithe. And little by little, I kept kicking. And as of today, I've paid off $31,000 of debt. That's a single girl in our church that's made a decision that God's way is better than the world's way. That's made a decision that she's not going to lay down every night in fear. She's going to wake up every day in joy. She's not going to lay down every night feeling hopeless. She wants to wake up with hope every morning in her finances. You got to make a choice. You got to make a decision. You got to go attack it. You got to tell somebody about it. And I just believe if you'll do that in November of 2017, by November of 2018, if you feel hopeless, God's going to make you hopeful. Can I pray for you this weekend? Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you teach us on our finances, God. Lord, I pray for anybody here this weekend that maybe hears condemnation. God, I pray right now that you would break off what the enemy might be trying to do. God, maybe it's conviction. Maybe you're stirring in their heart going, I've got so much more for you. If you'll figure this financial thing out, God, I pray for courage that some of us would sit down and talk to a spouse, talk to a friend. And that, God, we would create a plan. We would start knowing where our money goes. And, God, we would go attack that plan so that we won't wake up any more hopeless but hopeful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. All of us who agreed said amen. Amen.